Hi, church. Welcome back to our Sunday night teaching time. It's good to have these Sunday nights so we can open up God's Word. We're in a series called Renewed in the Spirit of Your Mind, Knowing How the Life of God Gets Inside. This is part 15. Uh, the title for tonight's teaching, Unconforming. I'm not sure that's a word. It's just one that I chose. Unconforming yourself to the image of this world, yet staying relevant to today's culture. Is that a possibility? And I think it is. The text we're looking at again, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Get a Bible. Let's study these words again together. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Here's the phrase we're going to be looking at tonight. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that testing, Paul is saying, pr prove to yourself in experience. Prove to yourself that God's will, if you have faith and trust in it and commit yourself to it, you 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 test and you see over and over again that it is good. It's acceptable and perfect because at first glance, given our fallen minds and our fallen inclinations, often the will of God looks iffy. It seems restrictive. It seems like it's going to take away joy. And so the writer says, look, you test this. Honor God. And you'll find his will is a lot better than you think it is in your first reaction to it. That's the idea of that last phrase, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. It's not knowing it, it's valuing it, seeing its worth. But the phrase tonight, that second verse, the beginning of it, do not be conformed to this world. I will never forget, years ago, years ago, not in this building, uh, it was a Sunday night close to the end of the year. <clears throat> and a woman came up to me and she said, you know, I think this coming year, I really want to take seriously my walk with the Lord. I'm really going to, I'm really going to concentrate. I'm going to concentrate. I'm going to live life more focused this year. And I, I was kind of interested in that comment. And I said, so what is it that you're going to concentrate on? And I'll never forget her reply. I said, what are you going to concentrate on? And she says, oh, I'm going to concentrate on lots of things. And she showed she didn't really know the meaning of that word concentration. She was, she was caught in the position that a lot of people are caught in, taking a word and attaching her own meaning to it. The word actually means deleting competing interests. Concentration means you, you edit the things you're putting your attention on so you can focus on one or two things. Concentrating on something is the opposite of dabbling in a lot of things. To concentrate, just by definition, means to eliminate a lot of things so you can give more attention to one or two things. That's what concentration means. It's pouring your energy into just one or two things. It means you zero in from the general to the particular. 
And this woman, she sort of betrayed the meaning of the word by saying, well, I'm going to concentrate on a lot of things. There's just something terribly wrong with the logic in that answer. And yet, it is the path a lot of us take, if we're honest, in our walk with God. So remember that little story, that sincere woman, as we drill down into this idea about not being conformed to this world. Remember, for example, remember the way Jesus was teaching about concentrating on God when he said, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. He's, he's saying, it's the same thing as saying, blessed are the pure in heart. Pure in heart doesn't mean sinless. It means, it means unmixed, pure in that sense. Pure gold, for example, doesn't have a lot of junk in it. It's, it's refined. Pure in heart means a heart that is going in one direction. Everything we've been studying about, you know, renewing our minds with biblical truth, presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, meditating on the grace and mercy of God in our lives. What we're saying is the Christian life won't work for a lazy person, but also the Christian life won't work for a distracted person. The person who wants to follow Christ deeply and seriously will have to concentrate on fewer things. You can't tinker with God as an interest. It takes concentrated, focused interest. More than anything else, and here's why, now that phrase in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Here's how it relates. Because more than anything else, this world is out to divert people's attention from God to a lot of other things. It's the opposite of concentrating. The world will let you tinker with Christ, but it won't let you emphasize Christ. It's very jealous, the world, to, to make you pour your time and energy into entertainment, into fashion, into wealth, into sports, into pleasure. It works jealously to keep you from concentrating on Christ. It, it works jealously not to make you deny your faith, you don't have to deconstruct. It works just to have you tinker with it. It wants you to be a spiritual lightweight. A lot of people have the idea that for our, our minds to be renewed, our lives transformed, it's just a matter of sort of not doing really, really bad things. And I don't think that quite catches it. When Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, 12.2, I think there's a right way and a wrong way to read those words. The wrong way is to think that Paul is simply telling us to avoid doing bad things and we'll be fine. And that's, it's kind of true, but it's incomplete. 
This way of hearing those words assumes that we're presently morally neutral and we just have to keep from being really bad. Don't contaminate your life. But I don't think that's quite right. I mean, if that's true, it's hard to understand why Paul presses upon our minds need to be renewed. Our lives need to be transformed. And they seem to reveal something that isn't quite right inside us. We don't start neutral. He seems to imply that we need help. We need outside help. Now, I think the right way to read Paul's command about do not be conformed to this world, verse 2, he seems to assume that we're all we're working against something inside our own skins that that kind of naturally shapes our lives in the wrong way. That's why I chose the title, Unconforming Yourself to the Image of This World. Maybe the English isn't great, but the point is, I don't start from neutral. Picture a child playing with blocks or a bricklayer on a construction site. Paul is telling us we can't just pick up the building blocks of goodness and set them into place. We, we, need, we need the mercy of God to start with. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. So we have to start with grace. We need help from the outside. We aren't morally neutral. And here's maybe the most important thing I can tell you about the power of divine mercy in my life. God's grace, God's mercy always starts undoing things before it starts doing things. And if you have any doubt about that at all, I, I, I would just challenge you to see how the scripture emphasizes what I just said over and over again. You start with undoing what's wrong before we start just doing what's right. Psalm 1, 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, after that, but his delight is in the law of God, and on his law he meditates day and night. So, so meditating on God's law in a way that's delightful day and night, that's such an important step. But but to delight in God's word requires first refusing the counsel of the ungodly. So before the heart can turn with delight toward God's law, it must turn away from the path of this ungodly world. Renewal doesn't start from neutral. Or look at Titus chapter 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Okay, now notice the order. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That's one. And to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. That's two. So that pattern is so obvious. I just gave you a couple references. It's all through the Bible. The, the, the text is even clearer in linking grace with training us to renounce Titus 11 and 12. Titus 2, 11 and 12. 
So notice, this is the first thing that the reception of grace awakens in the mind of the one who receives it. There comes a deeply resolved mental turning away from ungodly before there can be a lasting, powerful turning to God. Both those references verify the pattern that Paul lays down in our text. Unconforming to this world comes first. Then comes the positive transformation through the renewing of the mind. Do not be conformed to this world, Romans 12, 2. But, or rather, or then, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Notice that last phrase, that by testing you may discern. This testing, it's a very real one. You, you have to turn away from the world's operating system, and it seems very natural at times to follow it. You, you have to prove this to yourself. It takes faith to trust the promises of God, choosing His will, often feels uh, counter-cultural, counter-intuitive to our own first instincts so many times. You can't miss this order in Paul's thoughts. Grace is received. Everything we do will be the result of God's marvelous, amazing grace. But that grace is received in a very specific way. How can I illustrate it? We, we don't receive God's grace here, we don't receive God's grace the way you would receive from, from someone a, a bouquet of flowers, a box of chocolates, a bottle of perfume. They take it, they give it, you receive it. That, that misses the way grace comes. It is a gift. It's a gift. But grace is received more the way a smallpox vaccination is received. It's a wonderful thing to receive, but what's wonderful about it is the way it fights off something. Grace comes not like a box of chocolates, but like a vaccine that fights disease. It, it turns us against the world's operating system. We can't just listen to this kind of thinking. It's, it's so strongly taught in the scriptures, it must be absorbed right into our beings. You can't concentrate on a lot of things. What you can do, what you must do, is seek God first while you do everything else. You must be dominated by pleasing God even while you do other things. Of course, when we say you, you concentrate, you focus on following Christ, we don't mean that you don't have your job, your family, and a million other things that you have to do every day. The trick is, I put God first mentally. I'm thinking about this. I put God first while I'm doing a host of other things. Remember, we don't start from neutral. The God of this age, the devil, he's had a head start in your mind and your heart since the fall. Since the fall, turning to God always requires turning away from something else. It takes constant vigilance to avoid having your mind and then your whole being just 
shaped the wrong way. Do not be conformed to this world. That's the natural direction. I hope we all understand the starting point in this process. It isn't just trying to copy the life of Jesus. We must delete, uncopy something else first. That's what grace is for. That's what grace does. That's what this teaching is all about. That was a really long introduction. We're over halfway done. So don't be frightened when I say point number one. Understanding the nature of worldliness and the posing. I chose that word. I hope you'll see why in a minute. Understand the nature of worldliness and the posing of our souls. I think we need to look deeply into what Paul is saying in this command in that second verse, Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world. That word conform, the Greek word, saskamatizo is the word. It means to, it means to assume a certain form. It's a complex kind of word. To assume a certain pose. That's why I chose that word. To borrow the term from Madonna. It's how we all pose our lives. How we're shaped. How we're stanced. By the things we admire. The things we love. The things we will tend to copy. We naturally find the God-ignoring style of this world attractive. That's what Paul is assuming in that text. We naturally find the God-ignoring shape of this world attractive, and we, and we are prone to modeling it. Now, with that background, you can easily see why the various forms of that same word Suskamatizo are usually translated, especially if you go to the old King James, usually are translated fashion. Look at some of these verses. I'm reading from the old King James. Our fathers had the tabernacle in the wilderness as he had appointed, speaking to Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion, same word, according to the fashion that he had seen. So here, those are Stephen's words. As he refers back to the way Moses built the tabernacle, Stephen's being executed. And he gives this speech. Moses built the tabernacle in the wilderness. But Moses didn't just make up the design of the tabernacle in his head. The Lord revealed the fashion of it to him. And Moses made the tabernacle according to the fashion that he had seen. Look at the same word again in 1 Corinthians 7.31. And they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. So now here the term is used in a more negative sense. There's a whole, there's a whole fashion according to this world. There's a, there's a model that's offered, a style that's, that's the world's runway. Think of that, fashion. Think of how empty that word fashion is in this sense. Uh, uh, the show on a runway, it's not real. Think of a window in a department store, mannequins, 
that show the fashions that are in style right now. But it's all staged. It's all just set up. You know it isn't real. It's designed to look attractive to make people want to buy it. I want to copy that. That's exactly the concept where the, Paul says to, in 1 Corinthians 7.31 that, that there's the fashion of this world. It's, it's like that. It's just a fashion show. It's pretend. And he says, it passeth in the old King James away. This world, Apostle John, same thing. It creates an image. 1 John 2, 16 and 17. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of possessions, it's not from the Father, from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. So John uses this same idea. The world, the world has its runway. The world's got the fashion show. Posing, just pretending. And the world wants its desires and goals and ambitions. It wants those just injected into you. It models a life that makes devotion to Jesus Christ look ridiculous. It arouses the rejection and the animosity of people who think Christians are narrow-minded and intolerant. This is Satan's chief ploy. It's a runway. He sets up all sorts of false ideas, the fashion show, and they model it. It isn't real, but it's designed to make the things of Christ look less real in our hearts. I know I took a little time with it, but we'll just never understand the nature of Paul's command, Romans 12, 2, not to conform to this world until we see how he's using that very same word, the fashion of this world, in this negative sense. We have this tendency to pose our lives after the models, the fashion of this world. And, and we can all so easily miss the beauty of the truth and will of Father God by just taking on the outlook, the image, the fashion of this fallen world. The world all around you makes devotion to Christ, real devotion, not just religion. It works hard to make it look unattractive on their runway. You can't model that on their runway. They don't want to see it. Point number two, the call to unconformity, there's my word again, the call to unconformity to the pattern of this world is the first call in preparing our minds for renewing by the Spirit of God. I mean, perhaps now we'll start to see how to fit this together in our thinking. I mean, we saw earlier in this series how the renewed mind doesn't come from nowhere. It comes from somewhere. It comes from pondering and savoring the grace of God. That's the fuel for transformation. So here's the question. Why don't more people do this? Why don't we all endeavor all we can get our hands on that magnifies explains, extols 
rehearses the wonderful mercies of God for us. And, and we'd all like to think there's a whole bunch of answers to that question, but that's not the case. There's really only one answer. We don't do this more because we don't want to. We could. Nothing stopping any of us. No laws as of yet in our country forbidding church attendance, Bible study, prayer, fasting, or any such thing. Why isn't everyone? Why isn't everyone more hungry for the perfect will of Father God? I'll tell you why. Because society has totally conformed and the church is increasingly conforming to the runway, the fashion show of this world. And the fashion of this world makes no room for the truth of God. I can prove that to you. Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, look, suppress the truth. The world's runway has no room for the truth of God. It wants people following the fashion that squeezes out divine revealed truth. Oh, you can have religion. You can talk about loving one another. You can talk about the golden rule. You can do all of that. But devotion to Christ, revealed truth, absolute revealed truth that doesn't fit the culture around it. No, sir. The world kicks that off the runway. This world's system has no room for divine truth. Paul says it is designed to suppress, 118, suppress the truth. Now, wh why don't all Christians just flat out reject this world? That's a pretty key question. And the answer is Christians don't reject the world in anger because of the way the world suppresses God's truth, especially in North America. This is really important. The style, the fashion of our world is to suppress God's truth, not by renunciation, but by distraction. There's no apparent battle. The truth of God is simply drowned out. It's kicked off the runway. Here's the show. Look at this. Not over here. This is the relentless pressure, the pressure to conform that the world applies to your life and to my life. You don't have to reject God's good way. You, simp you just end up dancing to whatever music is loudest. And this, in this age, in this fashion show, the world's music always plays loudest. So here's the question. What are you doing to unconform yourself to the world's fashion? What steps are you taking to get off the world's runway? Before you turn to God, what are you consciously turning from? How badly do you want out of the fashion show of this present age? So remember, John makes it crystal clear. You can't love both the world and Jesus at the same time.
You have to concentrate. Remember the lady? You have to concentrate on one thing. Three. Fundamentally, God wants us to see our lives in this world differently than we're being trained to see them. So, so the divinely given tool for unconforming to the fashion, the style of this world, is to constantly remember one thing that the world doesn't tell you. The whole show, all the posing, all the fashion of it, it's, it's fading. It's fading to black. It's disappearing. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because okay, so there's the command, don't love the world, and the warning. Okay, why not love the world? 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, pride and possessions, there's the fashion show, is not from the Father, but is from the world. It's their runway. And the world is passing away along with its desires. Whoever does the will of God, concentrate. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. So, so the posing of the world is just that, John says. It's a pretending. It's a show. It's something that isn't really true. And God's only going to allow this proud, phony boasting for so long. It's not going to last forever. Fix your heart on that truth. And for the last point, only countercultural disciples can have true relevance to the world for displaying the mercies of God and all their redeeming beauty. This is the last one closing thought that remains. In the title of this teaching, I referred to being unconformed to this world and also staying relevant to this world. Is that possible to do both? And it is for two really important reasons. A, only those who are truly unconformed to the show of this world can speak the truth to its deepest needs. I mean, just pick any example you want. Can a person be loving towards all kinds of outwardly sinful people and yet be faithful to the truth of God's word? And Christians claim, yes. In fact, we claim more than that. We claim that only people who love divine truth can possibly be loving to sinners defined by God's word. That's because the Bible says love, 1 Corinthians 13, 6, does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And, and that means absolute truthfulness Absolute truthfulness is a precondition to showing genuine love. If I don't expose something as sinful simply because the culture is not going to like it if I do that, it's like a doctor that knows the patient has cancer but says, you know, they're not going to want to hear that. Let's say they have the flu. Now, the person feels better. But is it, is it love? Well, no, of course it's not love. 
if we don't tell the sinner that his or her actions are sinful, even if society is proud of them, whatever we're offering them isn't genuine love. It might be indifference. It might be sympathy. It'll never be love. And B, only those unconformed to the world can model the transforming power of God's mercies in Jesus Christ. I mean, this is why God created you. This is why God redeemed you. He wants living, working, walking demonstrations that the counterfeit joys, that the fashion show of the world is fake. He wants living proof that the counsel of the ungodly, Psalm 1, he wants living proof that it isn't true, that there's a better way. And so this world needs to see, this is the loving path. The world needs to see how much we treasure Christ, even when treasuring Christ is unacceptable to the runway of the world. It is only Revealed, my love for this world is only revealed to the extent that I renounce the phony fashion show of the age. I'm going to talk more about this, more about this uh, next Sunday night. Oh, don't forget, this Wednesday, 7 o'clock, our annual meeting here at the church. Uh, it's going to be a great night, and uh, there'll be the video that the staff made, I guess, with all the bloopers thrown in. Everyone's invited. Only members can participate and only members can vote. But the whole church is invited to come and uh, see everything that goes on, a little update on our missions, ministries, and things like that. So come join us Wednesday at 7 o'clock. God bless the church. Love one another.